Hey everyone, I wanted to open up this week's episode with a little bit of housekeeping and some announcements we have. Firstly, we're opening up submissions for season two of Wildlife Podcast. So if you or someone you know has a story that you'd like shared on the podcast, please reach out to us at wildlifepod, the number one, at gmail.com. I look forward to any submissions, or if you guys just want to drop us an email and say hi, we'd also love that as well. Secondly, if you've ever wanted to support the podcast, the biggest help for us would be to stop what you're doing right now and subscribe to us on Apple iTunes or Spotify and give us a five-star rating. It really does help a lot. And also share the podcast with anybody that you think may benefit from any one of the stories that we've shared so far. That's all I have. I don't want to take up too much of your time. I appreciate you listening. And without further ado... Here's this week's episode. And then the same thing happened a few weeks after that, except like that time I woke up and he was in the bed with me. This episode of Wildlife Podcast contains adult themes and subjects that may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. To be trusted is a greater compliment than being loved, as expressed by Scottish author and poet George MacDonald. According to Northwestern University, there are four key components to trust. The first, benevolence, which is the kindness of the individual. Second, integrity, which describes a person's moral compass and honesty. Third, competence which is an individual's ability to do something successfully and efficiently. And lastly, predictability, which is the likelihood at which a person will act and respond to a singular or repeated event. Trust and love go hand in hand. Time is essential to build both, and both are the cornerstone to every romantic relationship. But trust, along with love, requires courage from an individual. You expose yourself to the one you love, Trusting that they keep you safe, that they honor the responsibility bestowed upon them, and that you might do the same. But the world we live in provides no absolutes, no guarantee that the trust and love you give will be cared for with the same tender touch you may give it. And when the one you love breaks that trust in the most heinous acts, you are forced to gain a new, skewed perspective on the world you thought you knew. Everyone you meet has a story. This is Brianna's. My name is Brianna, and I am originally from the suburbs of Chicago. We were your stereotypical kind of happy family. No family is perfect, but we were a pretty good family, to be honest. I grew up, was socially awkward, overweight, had some bullying issues, so a lot of insecurities that followed me into high school. I 
didn't really date a lot. Like I said, socially awkward, had some close friends and everything. I was choir theater geek and <laughs> kind of ran with that crowd. When I was 17, um, a friend of mine in high school, we were seniors. She started dating a guy who was in a band with another guy. Her boyfriend's name was Sam and this guy, Tim, was single and she just thought that we would be a pretty good match together. So she gave him my AIM handle and said, he'll message you. So after a few days, he started messaging me and we just kind of talked about all the basics that you would expect when getting to know somebody. And I found out pretty quickly that he was actually 21 years old and I was only 17. But everyone had always told me I was an old soul. And I also really wasn't having any luck with guys my own age. If anybody had any red flags about him being interested in me, nobody really voiced it. And so I figured it really wasn't something to be concerned about. Four years doesn't sound like a big difference, especially now that I'm like in my 30s. In high school, I had a strong faith and a strong moral compass. And that also kind of kept me from dating in high school because I was pretty upfront about what I was willing to do in relationships and not willing to do. And a lot of other guys kind of was not interested in a relationship if there wasn't really sex involved. My honesty with Tim was no different than it had been with any other guys. I told him from the first date, I was like, I'm trying not to have sex till I get married. If that isn't for you, there's the door. I'm not gonna waste your time or mine. And he was like, I am so glad to hear you say that. I have been in so many relationships where sex has always been the center of it and I'm really sick of it. I really am glad to have you in my life. And I was shocked, but kind of elated because I was lonely. All my friends were dating and with all my insecurities, I just really thought it was like something was wrong with me. And to have somebody like look at me and be like, no, I'm interested in you was kind of, it was the first time that it really happened for me. I was just completely smitten. And so the complexity was that Tim actually had paralyzing social anxiety. Going out in public where other people were actually made him physically sick. As a result of that, many of our dates were really spent at his house or walking alone at the park. And I told him I would help him get better, but I really didn't know much about how to do that when I was 17 years old. So I just kind of did things at his pace and kind of went with him where he felt safe and didn't really pressure him to go anyplace else. I loved him and wanted to be with him and he loved me and wanted to be with me. But then all of a sudden, like the roller coaster started picking up speed and the game started changing. Suddenly, every time when we were hanging out, there was like a guilt trip attached to it. So we'd like go out to grab coffee and he'd be like, I can't believe you left your house wearing that. That's so inappropriate. And I'd be like, my mom said it was fine. And my mom's really conservative. But then it would make me second guess myself and be really self-conscious. We'd be out and about and walking through the park. And he'd be like, did you just smile at that guy? Are you flirting with strangers? Why are you doing that when you're with me? I knew I hadn't done anything wrong, but then it makes you second guess. Oh gosh, well, maybe I'm sorry. I didn't intend to. And then it would change into like, are you cheating on me? You must be cheating on me if you didn't don't want to sleep with me. I know you don't want to have sex with me because you don't love me. First, I'd get angry. I'd be like, it's not my fault that somebody smiled at me. Like I didn't do anything wrong or I try to defend myself, but then he would just get angrier and then he would start crying and I would be the one who'd have to be consoling him. He'd be crying and hyperventilating and I'd be comforting him. And so it created this kind of like really toxic back and forth, I guess you could say. 
But then he would stop crying and he'd look at me and start apologizing, be like, Marie, I'm so sorry. I know you love me. I'm so broken. You shouldn't even be with me. I love you so much. Like, please don't ever leave me. And then he'd say, like, I'm trying to get better. I pray every day that God will make me better. I think that's why God sent you to me. I would try to tell people, you know, like, hey, we got into a fight. Others would just kind of justify it. Oh, yeah, every couple of fights, you know. And then when I talked to my friends about, like, pressure to have sex, they'd be like, well, duh, he's a guy. Like, what guy doesn't do that? And I'd be like, okay, I guess this is normal. Like, I've never been in a relationship before. So I guess this is just how relationships go. There's, you know, mixed in there is all this good stuff. You know, they'd, we'd have good moments in between. It was, the abuse was constant, but it wasn't consistent. For every awful thing that happened or was said, there would be other good things done. And it would make it really confusing to define. And plus, like, when I... When I was growing up, I thought like people who were in abusive relationships were usually people who were weak, you know, people who were easy to prey on. People had always defined me as strong-willed, as like I was not somebody who would easily succumb to peer pressure. Like I never smoked, I really didn't drink, like I never did drugs, like I was a rule follower. So I was like, no, like I'm not somebody who ends up in an abusive relationship. Like I don't fit that stereotype that I thought I had in my head. There were multiple times in there where I tried to break up with him and he would show up a few days later with some huge gift or surprise me at work in front of everyone with some long speech about how he was an idiot and how awful he felt and how he hadn't slept. And it's all the stuff that you see in every rom-com you've ever watched. Like, what kind of a bitch would I be for not just like hanging out in the parking lot after work and listening to him? You know, maybe I needed to forgive. I just had too high standards. Everyone always said I did. So he was clearly trying and I loved him. So maybe I should give him a second chance. And this went on for like six months, but then I left for college. Before I was leaving, he started having daily panic attacks, calling me in the middle of the night, unable to breathe, asking me to come over and help him calm down. And I always did. Um, I would leave once he fell asleep and then I would have to, you know, go home and get ready for work. And so finally I did leave for school. And, you know, it really didn't change. Two months into my college experience, I really had seen him pretty much every weekend, if not more. He would drive out and surprise me on a random Wednesday and I'd be forced to miss whatever I had scheduled. If I told him, hey, I can't, he'd get really mad. He'd make a scene and be like, I drove all the way out here. I can't believe you don't want to see me. I missed him too. Like as we, like I said, we had good times together too. So I missed him. And so I didn't want to be like total bitch about it. I also had like the roommate from hell that year, which made it so much harder. <laughs> and so I just hated college. It was so awful. And so despite how unhealthy the relationship was, I still just was like, all right, like he still loves me. I still love him. I guess we'll make this work. We had a computer lab in our dorm room because at this time people didn't have laptops so <laughs> there is a room with like 30 computers and everyone would go down there and so I was on the internet on my uh, AIM and my friend Veronica the one who had set us up messaged me for some reason her tone was really different that night and she's like hey can you talk and I was like yeah and she's like I mean on the phone I was like, well, my roommate's in there. She's on the phone. She's kind of, I don't really like dealing with her. She's not gonna give me the phone. What's up? And she's like, I really don't know how to say this. Tim told me he'd take me to the community college this week because like, I'm still having trouble like finding some of my classes and some new classes are starting. And he tried to attack me. 
he came on to me and when I said no, like I felt like I was in a corner. And then he started laughing at me and said that he was just joking and that can't you take a joke? But like, I'm really shooken up and Sam is really mad. My stomach just sank because the truth was like, I wasn't shocked to hear that because I knew that feeling. Like he had scared me multiple times too. So I knew what he was capable of. I walked up to my dorm room just kind of in a daze. All of a sudden my phone was ringing. It was him. He calls me and he's like, I'm going to kill myself. I am going to kill myself. I'm so awful. I don't deserve to live. And like I could hear his, he had a Pontiac Grand Prix with like all this extra like exhaust stuff added onto it. So you could hear it in the background. I could tell he was driving at really high speeds and I was like, he is going to hurt somebody. So I'm like, listen to me, you need to pull over right now. Where are you? I didn't know if Sam had called him and like confronted him. I didn't know if he knew Veronica was going to text me. I wasn't sure if he even knew that I knew at this point in time. And I was like, just come over to my dorm. Don't kill yourself. I love you. We'll figure this out when you get here. And so he got there about an hour later and we talked it out. And he's like, I wasn't going to hurt her. I was going to kiss her, but then she backed away. Then I was like, felt really self-conscious. And I was like, okay, so now you're confessing to me that you tried to cheat on me with my friend. I'm supposed to be okay with that. Like I stayed up all night just consoling him, but I was like pissed and sick and sad. And I loved him, but didn't want him dead. So I told him like, we'll talk about this in the morning. I felt disgusting. Like I knew he had tried to sexually assault my friend. Like I knew that look in his eye. I knew that was his intent, but he just didn't su succeed at it. And yet at the same time, like I was trying to make him feel better and I didn't really know what to do with that. And so like I broke up with him, but then he kept coming to the dorm room with flowers and all the girls in the dorm were like, he's such a nice guy. I wish my boyfriend would drive all the way out here to give me flowers. Christmas break was coming up and I went home and like I didn't tell my family all of this. He was still trying to like win me back. So he was over all the time going back to school, like with all of those experiences being like my first experience with going away to college, like the thought of going back made me sick to my stomach. And I couldn't bring myself to go back to school after Christmas break. And my parents saw that I was a total emotional wreck. And so they were like, no, just go to community college. It's okay, work on your health. And so I did. So with me being home, it just kind of escalated even more from there. Like all my friends were away at school. He was really the only friend I had there. And we kept hanging out. He was like, let's try to get back together. Things are going better. I promise you I'm getting better. And he's like, I'll even find a church for us to go to. And that was something for a long time when we were dating where I was like, my faith is really important to me. Like, I don't really know if I can have a long-term relationship with somebody who that's not important to them. Like, I'd really like to go to church together. And he would say, yeah, yeah, that's fine. But then he'd like sleep in and never go. Um, when he was like, no, let's find a church together. I was like, okay, well, maybe this is a sign. Like, I've been praying about what to do. And maybe this is a sign from God that like, I'm supposed to stick this out. So we started going to church together. Um, there was actually a church about a half hour away that he used to go to when he was young. We started going to church there. And then I also realized like when we were hanging out that suddenly his social anxiety was better. I was like, wow, like you used to get physically ill, like throwing up in the bathroom when, you know, we'd go out to eat. Like 
I can't believe this is not happening anymore. And he's like, yeah, he's like, this is amazing. It's a miracle. Like, I think it's you. It's because I feel so safe with you. Like you've healed me. And I was like, okay, you know, so then going out in public, like he'd be like, no, I need my safe person. You know, like it was a joke that I was the only, you know, reason that he could function. Around Valentine's Day, he started asking me to come his girlfriend again. And I was hesitant, but uh, things had been better. So I was like, okay, we'll try this again. And while I had been at school, he started hanging out with like a new group of friends. He would hang out with them like multiple times a week while I was away at school. And when I came home, um, he was still hanging out with them. Then when we started dating, I asked him again, I was like, can I meet your friends? Like you've been friends with them for like six months now and I've never met them. And he's like, yeah, he probably should. That'd be good. But then he'd still just hang out with just them. But I really didn't give it a whole lot of thought, to be honest, um, until one day he had left something at my house and he needed it for work the next day. So I called him and he didn't answer. And I was like, hey, I'm gonna put this in your mailbox. I know you need it for work tomorrow. Love you, bye, you know. And when I pulled onto his street, I saw that both his cars were there and um, this other vehicle. And at first I just thought it was one of his friends. And then I realized it was definitely a girl's car. Like it was for sure a girl's car. And my stomach just sank, like all the lights were off. It was dark out and you know, he hadn't been pressuring me to have sex for a while, which I thought was a good sign. But now I'm like, maybe it's not a good sign. Maybe he's cheating on me. I just kind of sat out there for a few minutes trying to figure out what to do. Like, do I put this thing in his mailbox? Do I go up to the door and confront it? Like, I don't even know who's in there. And so I got up and got, went to his mailbox. And while I was standing out of my car to get back in, the front door of the house opened. And this woman walks out and he's got his arm around her. He's kissing her goodbye. And then he opens his car, her car door for her like he'd done for me a million times. I'm just standing there like watching all this. Like it's dark and I'm across the street. So like they didn't see me and I'm just like shocked and frozen. Suddenly like as he's about to like close her door, he looks up and he sees me standing there. He's standing there looking at me like a deer in headlights. And I kind of walk over and I was like, hey, like you left this in in my car like earlier and I was just dropping it off. And you know, you can tell he's still trying to figure out what to do or what I had seen. And so he just suddenly just starts crying. And right there in his driveway. And he's like, so glad you came by tonight. I've had so much guilt over this for so long. And I've been praying about how to tell you. But the last thing I want to do is hurt you. I finally got you back and I didn't want to lose you again. Like, just want to tell you everything. And I'm so sorry. Can you come inside? I just need to sit down. So I follow him inside. And so I knew his mom was home sleeping. And um, his dad was also a compulsive hoarder. So like there was really no place in the house to hang out except for in Tim's room. Um, and I really didn't like to hang out up there because whenever we did, he'd try to pressure me to have sex and then we just get into a fight. So I like started clearing things off the couch cushion to sit down. He's like, can't we just head up to my room? And I'm like, uh, no, I would rather talk here. Like some girl just left your room. I definitely don't want to hear all about it while sitting in there. So he like sits down, he starts pacing the floor. I just didn't even know what to do. So I just sat there. So he starts telling me the story of how like when I'm at school, he was so lonely and he's hanging out with these friends. And, you know, I started piecing together that like they've been sleeping together for like six months now. And I'm just trying to remain calm and not freak out because I know his mom is sleeping. And 
he was just like, it isn't what you think it is. Like, she isn't like you. I don't love her. It's purely physical. I just needed sex. I want you. I want to be with you. She means nothing to me. I'm just like numb. I loved him and this just really wasn't on my radar. I don't even remember leaving his house or anything like that. I just remember sobbing on the drive home and yeah, and I told him like, it was over. Like, I'm not going to get back together with you. I told my mom that time that he had cheated on me. Like, I cried for weeks. I brought all the things he'd ever given me back over to his house. Like, it was over. But a few weeks later, he called me begging to get back together with him. And, you know, I just, I didn't trust him. He was, he was mean and he cheated on me. And I didn't, like, he tried to cheat on me with one of my friends. Like, it was just awful. And, but yet, he was then like turning around and making all these romantic gestures. Being in a relationship like this is like being on the giant drop. You get to the bottom and you think it's over and then all of a sudden you're flinging up to the top again and you're on this emotional high and you can see the whole world and then you drop down a little bit and you're like, okay, that wasn't so bad and then you're back up and down. It's like, and then you can't get off. So it's really disorienting. Um, my self-esteem had been demolished. Like it was really awful and I was just numb at this point in time. So. You know, we kind of got back together, cheated again. I walked out, got back together. It was this constant thing. Like he cheated on me like multiple times. And then finally, it was like late summer, early fall. I was like, nope, I'm done. Like I can't keep doing this anymore. The problem was like we kept seeing each other regularly because that church that we had started going to together, I honestly thought he would stop going once we stopped dating, but he didn't. He actually seemed to start going even more. And every time I saw him, my heart would just hurt. Like I still loved him, but I couldn't move on. One night I was driving home from leading middle school's group and calls me and he's like, hey, Bree, are you close to the church still? Like, I'm really sorry, but I don't know who else to call. And I rode my motorcycle here and it was sunny out when I came and warm out. It's now freezing and starting to sleet. Like, could you follow me home and like stop every couple of blocks so I could like warm up my hands and dry off my goggles? It's like, sure, whatever. So I drove back to the church and like he got on his motorcycle and started driving and like I followed behind him. Then he signaled for me to pull over and he got in my car and he's like I miss you you're always here when I need you you're one of my best friends like I can't trust anyone or talk to anyone like I can with you he's like it just kills me you know to see you all the time and not be able to talk to you can we please just be friends like I understand that you don't want to date me but can we please be friends and at this point like he's crying and I'm crying and I'm like okay we can be friends and he's like okay thanks friend I'll talk to you tomorrow and so for a couple months we were just friends it was still really manipulative there was still like, he wasn't treating me, he wasn't treating me abusive, but there was a lot of manipulation, just toying with my emotions. And then all of a sudden, he started talking about going to school in Wyoming. He wanted to restore cars for a living. So then he's like, you know, I'm going to be moving to Wyoming in the fall. I wish you could come with me. Like, I need a best friend there. And I had just started school to go to massage therapy school. He kept talking about going to Wyoming together. And then um, one of my brothers, he was a senior in high school at this point in time and the war in Afghanistan was in full throttle and he was actually recruited to go into the Marines. It's like late winter, early spring and he's like, I'll be leaving in July or August to go overseas and like I had friends that who had been over in Afghanistan for the last couple of years and I knew I knew the danger and I knew the things he would see and so I called Tim sobbing and he came over and picked me up. Tim's like, 
you know, what, what do you feel the most upset about? And like, all I keep thinking about is how like he won't be here for a long time, like for the next four years and I won't get to see him. And like, what if he gets married over there and I miss his wedding? And like, what if I get married in the next four years? He won't be here for my wedding. And like, what if I have kids before then? And he's like, Brie, I know we're just friends, but I miss you. Like, I want to be more than friends. And I feel awful about all that I put you through. And I'm a different person now. I really am. And maybe we're just meant to be. And I was just like, I don't know. He's like, plus your brother's leaving at the end of the summer. Like, that gives us four months to get married before he leaves. Why not just get married? You know, think about it. This way your brother can be here for your wedding and you can come with me to Wyoming. Like, it'll be perfect. Like, my emotions are all over the place. Like, I was just crying about my brother leaving and now this guy's asking you to marry him I was just kind of sitting there like in shock and he just keeps like talking you know I'm like Tim like we need to start dating at least for a little bit like we can't just go just from friends to suddenly engage like half our friends didn't even know that we ever dated like they're gonna have a lot of questions Plus, I need to like ask my dad and like I think it'd be a good idea if we talk to our pastor and like, really tell him our whole story see if he thinks this is even a good idea so then he called me later he's like I made an appointment with a pastor for church this week. You know, did the time work for you? So it just all moved really quickly. I was waiting for somebody to say this isn't a good idea and nobody said it. So I was like, okay, well, maybe I'm just being paranoid. That week we met with a pastor and we sat in his office and like Tim told him everything. I was shocked at how much he shared. You know, our pastor was like, this is, you know, you guys sound like you have a lot of honesty and self-awareness. Like I've seen a lot of couples in here over the years who have rocky starts, you know, and now they're a great couple and have been married for, you know, however many years. He thinks like we probably are mature enough to make this decision. I felt really at peace about it. I'm like, if there are any red flags or anything people are concerned about, like we're showing all of our cards. Like somebody will see it. Somebody will point it out. A few weeks later, we were out at my aunt's lake house with a bunch of our friends. And the whole day, he just was, he treated me like crap. And I kept asking him what was wrong. And he's like, nothing. I don't want to talk about it. I was like, is he cheating on me again? Like, is he going to break up with me? Like, it was really tense and really uncomfortable. And so later that night, we're hanging out at the lake house. And he comes up to me like, hey, can we talk outside? And I'm like, sure. Like, is everything okay? And we come outside and I'm thinking to myself, like, did I do something wrong or you know, what's going on? So he gets outside and he's like, you might want to sit down. And I'm like, okay. And I'm like, what's going on? And he's like, I don't, I don't know if I can do this anymore. I'm like, what? Like, do what anymore? And he's like, be your boyfriend. And I'm like, why? I don't understand. Like, what happened? Everything was fine yesterday. Like, something is off to me. What is going on? And I'm just like on the verge of tears. My heart is breaking, you know? And everybody inside the house, you know, is like, you know, wondering what's going on. And suddenly he like gets down on one knee and he's like, I don't know if I can be your boyfriend anymore because I want to be your fiance. And I was just like, numb. I don't even remember saying yes. Like, I remember being like, so you're not mad at me? Like, you're not breaking up with me? And he's like, no, silly, of course not. Like making me feel like an idiot. He's like, you know, I was going to propose. Like I had to make it a surprise somehow. But then like a few weeks into our engagement, I started having really bad health problems. So like I woke up one day and I couldn't walk. My head was pounding. Um, everything hurt. I called in sick to work, but by midday I was feeling better. And my mom was like, it was probably a migraine. Your dad used to get those when he was in his 20s. Like it's probably hereditary. And then it happened a few weeks later. And so I was like, 
I should probably go to the doctor. And so I did. And the doctor was like, yeah, that sounds like migraines. Here's the prescription. Like they can be brought on by stress. Like you're engaged, you're going to school, you're working. It's totally normal. But then the migraines kept getting worse. I'm like, do I have a brain tumor or something? Like people are like, no, it's okay. If there was a concern, your doctor would tell you, you know, and things with Tim were going okay. Like it wasn't perfect, but it wasn't as bad as it had been like years before. So it's like, okay, things are going okay. I'm just freaking out over nothing. Then like one day I woke up and I wasn't in my bed. I was at Tim's house and I really didn't sleep at Tim's house. I wake up, I'm really groggy. It's dark outside. Like, I'm like, what time is it? And I could hear Tim in the room behind me, but like he stopped and was like shocked that I was talking. I'm like, did I fall asleep? He's like, yeah, you were studying and you fell asleep. I didn't want to wake you. I drove home and I was really groggy and I figured it was probably the start of a migraine. So I took my meds and went back went back to bed and that was it. And then it happened again a few weeks later, except like this time I couldn't move and I could hear him leave the room, but my whole body hurt and I couldn't move and I couldn't talk. And all of a sudden he came back and he's like, oh, hey, sweetie. I'm like, what just happened? He's like, what do you mean what just happened? Like you fell asleep. And, and then the same thing happened a few weeks after that, except like that time I woke up and he was in the bed with me and I was like, something is wrong. But again, same sort of thing. He's like, you fell asleep, it's okay. Then another time I woke up and he was like undressed and behind me, I could like feel him like moving. And I'm like, what? I like, couldn't move my body. He gets up and leaves the room and he comes back in and I'm like, what just happened? And he's like, what do you mean? And I was like, I either just had a nightmare or like something just happened. And he's like, oh, you probably had a nightmare. Don't worry about it. And then the same thing happened again. At that time, like I was like, something just happened. And he starts sobbing. I'm like, what is it? Like, what is happening? And I'm like trying to keep my voice down because his mom's sleeping in the room next to us. And he's like, I'm so sorry. Like you fell asleep and you were so beautiful and I didn't want to wake you up and I just wanted to be close to you. So I started cuddling you and like one thing led to another and oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, you need to go to therapy. Like we need to go to therapy. This isn't normal. My head is pounding. I need to go home. I can't see straight. And I left, like, I didn't know what to define that as, you know? So he starts seeing a therapist. The therapist was like, yeah, like, this isn't healthy. This really isn't good. But like, you guys are engaged and it's really hard to wait until you're married and you shouldn't fall asleep at his house. And I'm like, I don't remember falling asleep at his house. And so they're like, well, just don't go to his house anymore. So it was all like putting it on me to be responsible for him. But nobody was like, this is rape or this is abuse. Like nobody said those words. Like it was just kind of like, here's what you need to do to make sure it doesn't happen again. So this went on for months. We just wouldn't hang out one-on-one. -on -one. Suddenly one day, um, I woke up and I was like, my brain, something broke in my brain. And I was like, this, this is rape. Like this is, this is actual abuse. And he just, his face fell. He's like, no, it's not like, that is not what this is. I'm like, no, that, that's, that's what this is. I'm pretty sure that's what this is. And I lost it. I completely disassociated. I let, I don't even remember driving home. The pastor called Tim, I guess, and was like, hey, I, you guys should probably come in tomorrow. And I just sat there and Tim, he was later diagnosed as a sociopath. So I think he thought he could continue manipulating his way out of it. But he just like sat there and cried and like was like, I'm an awful human being. Like, I don't want to do this to her, but I keep doing it. And like, I think our pastor asked him like if he was drugging me. And, you know, he was like, yeah, I am. And I had no idea. I didn't know he was drugging me. Like, I didn't know any of that was taking place. I thought it was happening once every couple of weeks. And he's like, it's happening like once a week. So um, our pastor was like, 
Um, I'm no longer marrying you guys. Like, this is not okay. This is abuse. This is rape. I, you guys are no longer allowed to see each other. He's like, Bree, you need to tell your parents. And like, at this point in time, like, my parents were going to the same church as us. And he knew them. He's like, I cannot in good conscience, like, continue looking your dad in the eye knowing this and, like, pretending like everything's okay. And I was like, no, it's going to be okay. And at this point in time, like, I'm starting to freak out. I'm like, if everybody knows about this, like, that self-shame of, like, being abused and being raped and being sexually abused. Like, I was like, I don't want anybody knowing about this. Like, I don't want, like, this is humiliating. I do not want anybody knowing. And so then I'm like, no, we're still going to get married. We will, you know, like, it's going to be okay. He's going to get therapy. Like, we're all going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And our pastor was like, no, it, this is not going to be okay. He's like, I can't stop you from marrying him. I can't physically stop either of you from seeing each other. He's like, but I don't recommend it. And like, Bree, I think you need to go to therapy too. So I start going to therapy. Tim starts going to therapy. Um, we're not really hanging out anymore, but not really telling people why. My therapist is like, you should really be in a support group for other girls who've been sexually assaulted. Because I'm like not even 21 yet. I'm still 20 and I'm young. And I did not think, like I never, if you asked me when I was 17, if that would be my life, I'd be like, no. I start going to the support group. And in the support group, it's a bunch of young women who've been sexually abused. Every week there was women in this group who had been trafficked, who had been sex trafficked. And some of them hadn't, some of them had been, but I kept hearing this, their stories and I was like, holy crap, like their story is no different than mine, except for the fact that my fiance decided not to sell me, decided to keep me to himself. But the same tactics, like their stories were identical to me. And I was like, this like overwhelming grief came over me that like, I could have been trafficked. Like I, I am clearly susceptible to that. I have ended up in this position because that could have been me. Healing alongside these women and these girls, like it was just, it was beautiful and heartbreaking all at the same time. I really didn't see him again after that. And like, I really wrestled with like, do I press charges? Do I not? I had to look at like how this would play out in court. And it was a domestic thing. It was his word against mine. We had no physical proof. We were in a relationship. I knew how court goes. So I did get a restraining order, but I never pressed charges. And so it was like this long healing journey. And for years, I just continued on my life, like healing and working through things. And then about five years ago, a ministry was opening up in Chicago called Naomi's House. And it was a long-term residential care program for women who had been victims of sex trafficking and were survivors of sex trafficking. So I was planning on volunteering just as a massage therapist to help heal on a somatic level and went to the volunteer training and got to know Simone who started Naomi's house. And she was like, I really think you need to be on staff, you know, and she only, she really didn't know much of my story, but she just, she saw, you know, she saw something in me and I got hired and um, I loved, it was like, is the best job ever. Um, walking alongside these women who had been exactly, you know, I had never been trafficked, but I had been close. And, you know, that kind of gave me a degree of separation, but enough compassion and empathy um, and, you know, enough journeying with my own story to kind of understand, even if I wasn't in their shoes, I could understand their shoes and being able to take what was awful in my story and turn it around to be walking alongside other people who need to know like, hey, I have been there, but this is where life can go. You know, you can heal from this and like, yes, it will be part of your story. And no, 
you'll never forget it. And like time does not heal all wounds. And, you know, like it's not like this Pollyanna story. It's not. But you can get better. And doing that for the last five years has been has been so healing for me. If you or someone you know are currently in an abusive relationship, we implore you to get the help that you deserve. You can call the National Human Trafficking Hotline at 1-888-373-7888 or the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 800-799-7233. Wildlife Podcast is produced, hosted, and edited by me. Brandon Pennington. Music, sound design, and additional editing by Dan Semen. If you or someone you know has a story that you would like to share on the podcast, you can reach out to us directly at wildlifepod1 at gmail.com. That's wildlifepod, the number one, at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you'd like to support the show, you can leave us a five-star review on Apple iTunes, and remember to like and subscribe wherever you listen to the podcast. You can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook at wild.life.podcast to stay up to date on new episodes, bonus content, or just to send a message and say hi. Hey guys, stick around after this brief sponsor break for a few final thoughts on this week's episode. Hey guys, thanks for sticking around to the end of this week's episode. As always, I would like to thank our guest Brianna for coming on and sharing her story. It takes a lot of courage to open up about these things. Brianna has been kind enough to share with us a lot of resources that she's found throughout her years. She sent that over to us. So please, if you or someone you know could benefit from these type of resources, please head over to our show notes where they will be listed for you. Thanks again, guys, so much for listening to this week's episode and for all the support that you've shown Dan, our guests, and I.